Welcome back to our study of the Psalms. In our last session, we talked about the fact that the Psalms are for the church. They are written for our instruction. We are called to sing the Psalms. The Psalms are a wonderful aid to our prayers. They help us to pray. They model for us how to pray. And in this session, we're going to look at some ancient wisdom for reading and understanding the Psalms. We're going to go to one of the church fathers, a man named Athanasius, and we're going to learn from him, from a letter that he wrote to a man named Marcellinus, the counsel that he gave, or at least some of the counsel that he gave, about how to read the Psalms wisely and well. Now, if that does not sound interesting or important to you, before you check out, uh, let me remind you of a story in the Bible. You might remember the story of Rehoboam from 1 Kings. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And after Solomon died, Rehoboam became king. And when Rehoboam became king, the people of Israel pleaded with Rehoboam saying, your father's yoke was heavy. You know, we, we want a lighter yoke. Would you be easier on us than he was? And Rehoboam talked with the counselors who had known his father, who were older men. And those men advised Rehoboam to um, be kind to the people of the kingdom and to serve them. And then the younger men who Rehoboam also received counsel from, men who were his contemporaries, people he'd grown up with, they said, no, 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 what you need to do is tell them that your yoke is going to be even heavier than your father's yoke. And so Rehoboam considered and he followed the counsel of his companions, of the younger men, and discarded the counsel of the older men. And when he did so, ten of the tribes of Israel, hearing from Rehoboam, I'm going to add to the yoke that my father placed upon you. Ten of the tribes of Israel broke off from Rehoboam, and the kingdom was divided. Now, that story does not tell us that it's always better to follow the advice of older people rather than younger people, or that older people's advice is always right and younger people's advice is always wrong. But it does warn us that it can be perilous to discard the wisdom of those who are older than us, and by extension, those who have come before us. Uh, sometimes, following the advice of those of our own age or even those of our own era can lead us into error and into danger. So uh, here's how that connects with what we're going to be talking about in this session. Um, the more people of our own day seem to have lost their minds or at least lost their way, and the more contemporary wisdom is exposed as folly, the more I find myself looking to the past for wisdom. And I mean that in terms of uh, theology and understanding scripture, 
as much as uh, other things, right? But in, in multiple areas, that's more than one area, that's true. And one person that I've turned to again and again is this man named Athanasius. Now, Athanasius is famous for standing up for the truth about Jesus when many of his own day were following a deadly and dangerous heresy. Athanasius lived uh, in the 300s AD, so about 300 years after Jesus. And Athanasius believed that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was truly God, that the Son of God was equal with God the Father. But in his day, there was a heresy called Arianism that taught that the Son of God was a creature, that the Son of God was created. And that heresy was very popular. A lot of people believed it. And because Athanasius stood against it, uh, he suffered much. In fact, he was exiled many times. But he stood firm and he stood fast and he held to the truth. And he's famous for that, as well as for his book called On the Incarnation, which of course is about Jesus. But one of his lesser known works, but still an important one, still one you can uh, pretty easily, I think, get your hands on today, is a letter he wrote to a man named Marcellinus about reading the Psalms and understanding the Psalms and what the Psalms can do for us. And he frames this letter as uh, passing on advice that he heard from another man. In fact, I think he says from an older man. And so he's passing on this advice that he's heard from this man to uh, this other man named Marcellinus. And here are a few of the things that he tells him. We're not going to cover everything, of course. Uh, I encourage you to read the letter if you're at all interested. Athanasius' letter to Marcellinus concerning the Psalms. Uh, it's a great letter. It's not hard to read. Uh, and it's not terribly long. And so I'd encourage you to, to read it if you want to know more uh, about, about what we're talking about here. So here's one of the first things that Athanasius says. Now, the first few things that he says, we're going to go through rather quickly because we've already talked about them in one way or another. And then um, the last thing or two that I want to point out that he says will be new. And so we'll probably spend more time on those. But here's the first thing that he says. First, he affirms, confesses, acknowledges that the Psalms are inspired by God. He recognizes the Psalms as scripture. He recognizes their divine origin, right? So he says, all scripture of ours, my son, and I think he's quoting this man who was talking to him, all scripture of ours, my son, both ancient and new, so that would be both Old and New Testament, is inspired by God and profitable for teaching as it is written. He's talking there about 2 Timothy 3.16, which says all scripture is inspired by God or breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for correction, for reproof, for training in righteousness. And then he says, but the book of Psalms possesses a certain winning exactitude for those who are prayerful. Now, winning exactitude, that's not a phrase that we are likely to use very much or that you maybe have even ever heard before. But notice what he's saying. All scripture is inspired, but there's something special about the Psalms, especially when it comes to prayer and helping us pray, aiding us in our prayers. So the Psalms are inspired by God, just like all the rest of the Bible, but there's something special about the Psalms. Now, if you've spent much time in the Psalms at all, you can probably 
identify with what he's saying, testify to that. We know that the whole Bible is, in the, is inspired, but there's something that draws us to the Psalms more than some of the other books. Not because the Psalms are more inspired or anything like that, but there's just something about them. You're likely to read the Psalms more than you are Leviticus, more than you are, uh, let's say, Nehemiah, uh, perhaps even more than Genesis or Proverbs, which are also uh, pretty popular Old Testament books. There's something about the Psalms, and particularly about the Psalms in how they help us to pray. So, first he says the Psalms are inspired by God, and then he tells us that the Psalms teach us the story of Israel, or they rehearse for us the story of Israel. Now, this is something we talked about in an earlier session, how the five books of Psalms, right, retell the story of Israel from David up to the return of exile. Well, Athanasius doesn't get quite that specific in terms of, you know, which book of the Psalms is about what part of the story, but here's what he does say. He, he goes through uh, the different sections of uh, the books of the Old Testament, like the books of Moses, and then, you know, Joshua and Judges, and, and he mentions the kings and the prophets. And after rehearsing what those various books say, he says, yet the book of Psalms is like a garden containing things of all these kinds, and it sets them to music. So in other words, you, you might find certain parts of Israel's story in, in certain parts of the Old Testament, but in the Psalms, you'll find it all like a garden full of uh, various uh, flowers or various vegetables all brought together in one place. And not only that, he says, but they, it, here that story has been set to music. Right? It's been put in the language of poetry and prayer and praise. And so he gives some examples. He says, it sings the events of Genesis in Psalm 19. There he's talking about uh, the psalm that begins, um, the glory of God is uh, on display, right, in the heavens. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Uh, you know, day to day, night to night, pours out speech and so on. So Genesis, the creation, right, is told in Psalm 19. And he says in Psalm 24, which says, The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof. He goes on to say, The themes of Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, it chants beautifully. In Psalm 114, when it says, When Israel went out from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary, Israel his dominion. So there's talking about the Exodus, right? So he says those events are recounted also in the Psalms. I think he may also point to Psalm uh, 105 and 106, which rehearse much of Israel's history. He goes on to show how the Psalms speak of events from books like Joshua, Judges, the Kings, and the Return of Exile. Um, but again, we've already covered this, so we're not going to go into what he says about that in detail. But here's part of why I mentioned that. When we covered that, you might have thought, well, I've never heard that before. I'm not sure what to think of that. I've never noticed that. Well, one of the things that's important for us to see is this is not a new idea. Right? This is an old idea that even in the early days of the church, this was recognized, right? That part of what the Psalms are doing is rehearsing for us, reminding for us, reminding us through the Psalms what God has done with his people in the past. The story of Israel is there. The next thing he says 
is that we can learn from the Psalms the story of Christ. Now, we've also already talked about the fact that many of the Psalms are about Jesus in very clear uh, ways. In fact, in ways that the New Testament specifically identifies for us, where uh, someone like Peter or Paul will say, this passage from the Psalms has been fulfilled in Christ. Athanasius is very much aware of that, right? He knows that the Psalms are about Jesus. But in particular, he notes that the story of Jesus is told through the Psalms. For example, he points out um, that uh, there are Psalms that speak about Christ taking on flesh, about him becoming a man, being born. Uh, the Psalms speak of his death on the cross. Of course, Psalm 22, I think he mentions there. Uh, as well as Christ's ascension and session. So the, the, the arc of Jesus' story, as it were, the, uh, the story of the life and death and ascension of Christ, the resurrection, uh, we can put in there too, he's probably including ascension, uh, a resurrection with ascension. Uh, that's all told and foretold there in the Psalms. Again, we won't linger there, but it's worth seeing and knowing that this is not new teaching. This is ancient wisdom. And of course, we've seen that this goes back to Jesus himself, right? that Jesus told his disciples that the Psalms were about him and had to be fulfilled in him. So most of that we've already seen before, but here's something we haven't talked much about yet. And I've been saying, I think, that we would talk about it, and, and now is when we're finally going to talk about it, and that's this. Athanasius encourages us to learn from the Psalms the language of prayer for every emotion. We've talked about how when we go to the Psalms, one of the things we typically go to the Psalms for primarily is to find there in the Psalms some consolation or comfort uh, when we're experiencing various emotions, distress, trials, temptations, uh, confusion, or whatever, or to find language when we want to praise God and exalt Him and rejoice about something. We go there to find a psalm that resonates with us, and that's healthy, that's good. In fact, Athanasius talks about how wonderful and unique the psalms are in regard to expressing our emotions. So, again, he says that the psalms, uh, in, in some ways, are like a lot of the rest of Scripture. They talk about Jesus. They tell the story of Israel. They're inspired Scripture. But here's what one thing he says sets the Psalms apart. He says, It contains even the emotions of each soul. And it has the changes and rectifications of these delineated and regulated in itself. Okay, again, lots of big words there. What does he mean? What he's saying here is this. That the Psalms not only express all of our emotions, but also show us how to deal with those emotions in a healthy and biblical way. For example, the whole Bible preaches repentance, he says. But, he says this, herein, that means in the Psalms, herein is prescribed also how to repent and what one must say in the circumstances of repentance. In other words, the whole Bible is telling us, repent, repent, turn back to God. But he says the Psalms gives us the language of repentance, teaches us the posture of repentance. It gives us words to say when we know we need to repent, but we don't know how. We can go to Psalm 51, where David cries out in repentance to God after his sin with 
Bathsheba. And we can take the words of that psalm as our own, in a sense, so that we now have a, a language and an expression and a, a process, even, so to speak, of repenting before God and calling out to him for mercy. Another example he gives, he says this, Furthermore, there is a command to give thanks in all circumstances, but the Psalms also teach what one must say when giving thanks. So again, the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances. And if you think, well, how do I do that? Paul, you didn't give me many examples. He gives us some, you know, but you didn't spell out for me exactly how to do that. How do I know how to give thanks in all these different circumstances? Go to the Psalms. The Psalms are full of prayers, full of songs that either are about giving thanks, maybe from start to finish, they feel like they're about thanks, you know, from top to bottom. Or you may find psalms that start out with discouragement, confusion, that end up with thanks. Find the one that fits your circumstance and use that. That's one of the things that, um, that Athanasius says is unique about the psalms, that they give expression to all these things, teach us how to do these things. He, he goes on to describe how reading the Psalms becomes intensely personal. See if this resonates with you. See if this has been your experience. He says, remarkably, after the prophecies about the Savior and the nation, so there's some Psalms that are clearly about Jesus. They don't resonate with us as much as they do tell us about Christ. He says, after that, after those, he who recites the Psalms is uttering the rest in his own words. And each sings them as if they were written concerning him. And he accepts them and recites them, not as if another were speaking, nor as if speaking about someone else. But he handles them as if he is speaking about himself. And the things spoken are such that he lifts them up to God as himself, acting and speaking them from himself. So Athanasius, again, points to something else that's unique about the Psalms. That when we read, hear, sing, pray, recite the Psalms, they become very personal to us in a way that most of the rest of Scripture does not. That we can pray the Psalms as though we had written them, or as though they had been written for our specific experience, and not out of David's experience, or Moses' experience, or, uh, or whoever. They have a wonderful way of expressing what millions of people have felt or are feeling. Right? They resonate with us at a deep and profound level. Now, one more thing about this before we move on to our last section. This, I think, is the most, for me anyway, one of the most profound, most important things that Athanasius said in his letter about the Psalms. He said, I believe that the whole of human existence both the dispositions of the soul and the movements of the thoughts, so that's how we feel, what we think, have been measured out and encompassed in those very words of the Psalter. In other words, the, the, Psalter, the Psalms cover it all. And nothing beyond these is found among men. So there's no emotion that lies outside of the range of the Psalms. He says, For whether there was necessity of repentance or confession, or tribulation and trial befell us, or someone was persecuted, 
or being plotted against, he was protected. Or if, moreover, someone has become deeply sorrowful and disturbed, and he suffers something of the sort that is described in the things just mentioned, and he either attends to himself as one who is advancing, being set free from his foe, or he wants to sing praises and give thanks to the Lord. For any such eventuality, he has instruction in the divine psalms. Let him therefore select the things said in them about each of these circumstances, and reciting what has been written as concerning him, and being affected by the writings, let, uh, lift them up to the Lord. So in other words, he's saying, whatever is happening to you, whatever going on in your life, whatever kinds of thing you might be experiencing, good or bad, discouraging or encouraging, go to the Psalms, find the Psalm that expresses whatever you're going through, or whatever you're feeling, take that Psalm into yourself and use the words of that Psalm to lift up your voice to the Lord. That's what they're there for. And then finally, he gives us a few examples of where we can look. He gives more than these, but I'm just going to give you a few of the ones he gives. These are direct quotes from him. He says, if you wish to bless someone, you learn how you ought to do so in Psalm 1. Should you wish to censure the treachery against the Savior, you have the second Psalm. If you are being persecuted by your own people, say the third Psalm. If being afflicted in this manner, you beg the Lord for help and having been heeded, you desire to give thanks, sing the fourth. And whenever spying the evildoers who want to set a trap for you, you want the Lord to hearken to your prayer, sing the fifth, rising early in the morning. And when you perceive a threatening uh, from the Lord, should you see that you are disturbed for this reason, it is possible to say Psalm 6. And he goes on and on. And you can too. As you open the Psalms, read the words that God has inspired and pray them. Sing them, study them, seek to understand them, apply them, have them shape you, have them uh, be the words that you use in prayer. The Psalms are there for you and for me. They are an unbelievably rich resource for prayer, for encouragement, for instruction. They help us to know how deeply God knows us that no experience that we're going to have is going to be outside of you know, what God knows uh, can happen to us. is not going to be outside of what has happened to God's people before. The Psalms are an incredible comfort, a gift from God, inspired by God for our benefit, to help us, to encourage us, to instruct us, and even to give us the words to pray. I pray that the Psalms become an even richer blessing to you as you study them with us. God bless.